So I figure if I'm going to burn, then I need to just burn. And the only gasoline I know to throw on that fire is prayer. We don't have anything else. Like we, we don't, but he paid for us. So it's not like we're giving him something. We're just giving him what he paid for. You know, he died for that relationship. So I just think about, I just think about him dying for that relationship. And, you know, Jesus, it says for the joy set before him endured the cross. You know, he wasn't looking at the, he wasn't looking at the cross. He was looking at the joy set before him. Like there was joy on the other side. There was that reconciliation in that relationship that he died for. He died so that we could die with him, so that we could resurrect with him, so that we could be creations that live in relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And without relationship, then we're not actually taking full understanding and full actions of what salvation actually is. The whole concept of salvation has to do with restoration of relationship. Taking a dead thing and making it live so it can communicate again with the one who created it. Adam and Eve in the garden had said, when you eat of it, you shall surely die. He didn't say you shall surely sin, you shall surely die. Yes, sin leads to death, but the ultimate problem we're dealing with is death, not sin. Jesus dealt with all of that on the cross. He, 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 he came so that dead men can live. And once we live, and we live in the fullness of life, then we can live a life that doesn't want the sin. We don't want to go back to the way things were. We have no desire for the dead things. We just don't have any desire for it. It doesn't produce life. So, you know, just thinking about it and talking about it, for example, the whole concept in the Old Testament about um, if a man if a man emits semen or if a woman has a bloodletting from her monthly cycle, God considered those things unclean. It's not because... He thinks that the woman is disgusting or the man is disgusting. It's not because they can't be inside of the camp because they're going to defile a bunch of people. The problem is is that the semen was was designed to create life. And when it doesn't create life, it's something that was intended to live that is now dead that must be taken outside of the camp. It's the same thing with the woman, why she has to go sit on the rock for seven days back in the day. It wasn't because the woman herself was unclean. Her value was still the same. The problem was is that something that was inside of her that was supposed to produce life is now being removed from her body, the leftovers that were not fertilized. And so God says, listen, my people have to do with bringing life, not bringing death. So you have to take this outside of the camp and let this thing pass. Once it passes, you can come back in. Your value is not lesser. But the thing that doesn't produce life can't be among my people. That was the purpose for the, the, the emission of semen and, and the emission of, of the womanly monthly cycle. Why he said those things were unclean. Had nothing to do with the value of the woman or the value of the man. Had everything to do with life had everything to do with if it doesn't produce life it doesn't belong among my people so among God's people there has to be life 
Everything they do is destined to bring forth life. And so if I'm living in an abundance in Christ, then my abundance is designed by God to bring forth more abundance and more life to somebody else. So even if I am prosperous, okay, even if we want to focus on, on the concept of prosperity in the church, the concept of prosperity is not so that you can be successfully prosperous and you can sit in your little corner and say, look at how much God's blessing me. The concept, the whole idea, that whole thing of, of prospering in the Lord, that whole concept of prospering is so that when you prosper, your abundance can supply someone else's lack. You could bring life into a situation. It says in the book of Acts, that they sold everything that they had and they gave to one another as each one had need. It wasn't one person hoarding up a big pile of stuff. Even though they were all prosperous, they were selling property, they had money, they had all these things. Yeah, they prospered, but they prospered for the sake of one another so that they could bring life and change cities and transform things. So my life, the way that things are going right now, my life is is, is shifting into this prayer in, in, in a way that, that is just unique and different for me because there's an excess in my life. I don't have an area other than for my wife and my daughter, my marriage and certain things that you would normally pray for. I don't have any type of major issue in my life going on, praise God, where I have to get down on my knees and fast and pray and say, God, I really need a breakthrough for this moment. If I don't, I'm going to die. I don't want to pay my bills. I don't... And listen, those things happen to people. I understand that I'm not putting that down. I'm simply saying that my responsibility in the position that I am in, in the church, as an individual who is in a place of victory right now, is to not use this as an opportunity to fall asleep, but actually use it as an opportunity to pray harder than I've ever prayed before because I have an abundance that I can pour out on somebody else because there's a grace on my life that needs to be released because freely I've been given, so freely I should give. You know what I mean? So, so the whole, this whole concept here, this whole idea of prospering, this whole idea of, of prayer, this whole idea of praying in the Holy Ghost, this whole idea of, of wrestling with God like Jacob or with Moses. Moses was saying, God, I'm already in relationship with you. Moses didn't need anything from God at that moment. He was in his presence. He came down with his glory. He had his commandments. He had all the blessings. He had everything. Moses didn't need anything. So his prayer life was positioned for the people that needed the prayers. And so God's like wrecking my world right now with John. What about that person? What about that person? What about that person? What about your city councilman? What about that individual? What about those people? And before I know it, my list is just ridiculous because faces just keep coming across as I get into a position of prayer, even though I get home and I got other stuff that I can do or I, I want to do. And God's like, no, you just come downstairs. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I have no idea what to pray about. Well, just get on your knees and just just thank me. Just start talking about me. Just start telling me who I am. Just, just start coming in praise and thanksgiving and just watch what I start doing. And before you know it, half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour later, you're all of a sudden praying for people about specific targeted things that God is revealing to you and showing you, not so that you can go and have an attitude towards them when you see them, but because things have been supernaturally revealed to you so that you can bring them into a place of intercession and bring change into that person's life, even though they have no idea what you're doing for them. The Israelites had no idea that Moses was up there interceding for them. 
How can you say that, John? Because they said, well, this Moses, we don't even know where he is. They had no idea what Moses was doing. And Moses is up there interceding for them. This is not what, what, what I was going to talk about tonight. But this is just the abundance of my heart at the moment. This is just where God is. This is just my personal where I'm at right now, what's happening with me. Just so you guys get a grip of, of me alone. Or with my wife, or with my daughter, praying my own personal studies. But we're in the book of Ephesians. <laughs> but we're in the book of Ephesians. And now I realize, looking at the verse, why God said all that. So, <laughs> last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And we discussed what it means to be a saint, to be faithful in grace. And recognizing that this letter is targeting a specific group of people. He's awesome. He's having a good time. Little guy. This letter is targeting a specific group of people. It's targeting the saints. It's targeting the saints who are faithful in Ephesus. And Paul is releasing a grace over their life. Paul's saying, I know what you can be. I know who you are. I know it's available. I know what this thing looks like. I'm living this thing out. And I want you to know what it's like. And I want you to know what it looks like so you can do it too. So he says, grace to you. And then in verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In, the, in Strong's Concordance, the Greek word for spiritual is number 4152. So if you look that up and you got a concordance and you want to have a good time with that, knock yourself out, it's totally worth it. But the Greek word means supernatural. The Greek word literally means supernatural. So here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every supernatural blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There's your abundance. This is where you live from. When you live towards heaven, it's you trying to get to heaven. But when you live from heaven, it brings heaven to earth. So you have a supernatural blessing in the heavenly realms where Jesus says, Pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus praying? That you would understand what you have in heaven so that you can bring it to earth because earth needs the kingdom of God. Paul says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but with Holy Ghost and power and with a demonstration of the power of God, a demonstration of the kingdom. Paul said, I'm not leaning on 
my words. I'm not going to lean on who I am. I'm not going to even lean on the name apostle. He deals with that in a whole other chapter. I am the least of the apostles. We read scripture and we go, he was the most awesome apostle next to Jesus because Hebrews even says that Jesus is, the, is, is an apostle. He's the apostle of our faith. So if anybody believes that apostles don't exist today, you're going to have a problem because Jesus is an apostle. And he's still here. That's good. <laughs> right? I mean, it, 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 you know, I said if, if anybody has a problem with the theology that apostles still exist today, then, then they have to look at the book of Hebrews that says that Jesus is, is the apostle of our faith. He still lives. The argument is, is when the apostles died, the apostolic ministry died. How can that happen if Jesus rose and he's an apostle? Just saying. Okay. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> so this concept of, of heavenly places, heavenly blessings, supernatural blessings, you have an inheritance that you can come into, that you can walk into, that's in heaven, that you can access that you can, by faith, pull down to earth and let the kingdom manifest on earth. If it wasn't the case, Jesus wouldn't say, pray on earth as it is in heaven. And if it wasn't the case, he wouldn't have said, the kingdom is within you. So he says, as you go, preach what? The kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. What did he say? Preach the kingdom. Why? When you declare in faith the kingdom of God and what you have to give, it can manifest and it can be received by somebody else because they'll have the tangible evidence of it in their face. They'll see the kingdom. The kingdom will manifest. Your faith will produce the kingdom of God. There was a boy who had epileptic fits. In scripture. And his father brought them to the disciples. And the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. So the father brought it to Jesus. And Jesus. Boom. Gone. Demon gone. Now we could come up with all kinds of theologies. We could go. Well maybe it wasn't his time. Maybe God was just waiting. You know. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, guys, I know you prayed, but it wasn't God's timing yet. Hmm. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, you know, guys, I know, I know that you gave it your best shot, but you guys have to understand something that, that he had epilepsy to teach him a lesson. He needed to learn something and trust God. He didn't say that. He, Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, oh, wicked and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? And then, be well. Boom. What's his problem? Rabbi, how come we couldn't heal them? What, what was our problem? Why did it happen when we did it? Jesus said, it's real simple. This kind of unbelief only comes out with prayer and fasting. What's he saying? That you haven't denied yourself. Why? Why did he say you haven't... Why did he say prayer and fasting? Fasting is something that puts your body in position to submit to whatever you tell it to do. You tell your body, you, tell your, you take submission over your flesh 
And you tell your flesh, no, this is not what we're doing right now. You teach your body because your body is your servant. Your body is not your master. So fasting suppresses the flesh, the feelings, and the emotions. Bubbles up dependency upon God. Puts complete faith in God because you need faith in God to make it through a long fast. I'll tell you from experience. And in that place, your flesh dies and faith rises up. And Jesus says this kind of unbelief only comes out with prayer and fasting. What's he getting to? He's saying if you want the kind of faith that it takes to do so, you need to deny yourself. Why did he make that statement? Because they just got done cheering and having a whole field day because the demons submitted to them and they were arguing over who was the greatest. So they went and did all these amazing miracles and all these amazing things and had the kingdom of God manifest and understood the inheritance they had and the authority that Jesus gave them. And then all of a sudden they go and do all these things and they feel really great and powerful about themselves. Get all high-minded, start arguing over who is the greatest and then this guy brings his boy and the guy's like, hey, can you guys help me out? And they're like, yeah, I can do it. Oh yeah, we got this, man. Sure, no problem. And then they're like, in Jesus' name. And they're taking out the oil and smacking him around and, you know, they're shaking him and doing all the stuff that we do. Dancing around him and making prophetic declarations and, you know, lighting candles or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. You know, let me get my prayer shawl out and hang it over your head and then we'll pray. Maybe that'll do something. You know, they're trying, they're trying every single thing that they can possibly try. Not that that's a bad thing and not that that doesn't work. We know that it does. Know the shofar. I'm not yeah. saying that it's not. But it works when God tells us to do it. It's not, it's not a, it's not a formula. Amen. It's not a formula. So they get amongst themselves and start getting real puffed up about themselves. And they miss this opportunity because... They put too much faith in the gifting and the calling that they have instead of in God. And Jesus said that you don't have faith. They're like, what do you mean we don't have faith? What do you mean? We just watched all this stuff happen. And Jesus is sitting there going, yeah, I know. But that wasn't faith. That was pride. That was you trusting in what you did in the past, not me today. And you can trust in God yesterday, but he's looking for you to trust him today. You can talk all about the stuff you did in the past, but tomorrow morning is a whole other day. And that's why it says his mercies are new every morning, because you need mercies every morning. Right, Enoch? He's having a good time. He's excited. <laughs> so he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, with every supernatural blessing in the heavenly place in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that when the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest, that they were being holy and blameless in love? No. I'm not picking on the disciples. This is just a biblical example of something that took place that we need to heed because it's something that we, we are capable of if we give to that, if we, if we submit to that. God, gives, God, God makes a point here. 
guys, I've given you all these blessings. I've given you everything you need to manifest the kingdom. But don't forget, I predestined you and called you to be holy and to be blameless in love. It's important that Paul makes that notation there. Because he's saying, guys, you have all these blessings, but don't forget those blessings are only supposed to manifest through love. And you can be prosperous, and you can have a big congregation, and you can have a large building, and you can have a radio program and a television program. Look, I'm not against that stuff. I have a radio program. I got videos out there. I'm not bashing on it. I'm simply saying you can have that and still miss what Scripture is telling us to walk in. Because you can have form without power, and you can have power without love. So you can be religious and you can look right and have no power. Or you can have power and have absolutely no love and totally miss what God's calling you to. And we see it. We see it. We see people chasing after the gifts. Scripture says they follow us. These signs shall follow those who believe. Not those who believe in them shall follow them. And again, I'm not against the gifts. I've, I've, God has done awesome things in, in my life. I've prayed for people and I've seen them get healed. I've, I mean, I've seen amazing stuff. Nowhere near what I'm going to see still, but, but I've seen amazing stuff. But if I get wrapped up in that instead of Him, I'm in trouble. And if you get wrapped up in the blessing in the heavenly realms that he's given you and you start thinking about everything is about you and yeah, God wanted to bless me and yeah, Jesus loves me and all of a sudden it's just me, 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 me. Then what you've done is you've squandered your inheritance. Really, it's no better than the prodigal son because the prodigal son asked for his inheritance and he took it and used it on himself. When he had a whole family. He had a brother. He had a father. He had a legacy. He had an inheritance. The inheritance is to keep the family name going. Not to squander. Keep to yourself and die off. And here's my tomb. And look at how nice it is. Because I had enough money to buy one. And everybody else is trying to figure out how they're going to pay for the coffin and everything else. That's not the nature of inheritance. So he says in verse 4... He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. People say that we just need to love people. We just need to love them. If we would, if we would just love people like Jesus, everything would be fine. There's an element of truth to that, but it's only a half-truth. Holy and blameless in love. Your love is a reflection and mirrors holiness. Love, Love doesn't compromise holiness. Love establishes holiness. Love says there's a better way. Love says... Here is the way. Come and follow me. Love says, go and sin no more. Yeah, Jesus is love and he forgave the woman 
caught in the act of adultery, but he told her to go and sin no more. Why? Because love and blamelessness and holiness go together. He loved her. He was merciful to her. He met her where she was. He didn't accuse her. He didn't condemn you. Woman, neither do I condemn you. But then he says, okay, but holy and blameless in love. Now go and sin no more. So love is not opposed to holiness. Love is not opposed to blamelessness. But the love that we keep hearing about in our culture is acceptant and tolerant of the nastiest and worst sins that have ever been known to man. And it's a perverted love. I mean, think about this. With the same love that we say, I love, I love my dog, is the same thing that we say, well, I love my husband. I love that, and I love this, and I love this, and oh, I just love that makeup. Oh, I just love your hair. I just loved that movie. And we can go into all the different Greeks and agape and phileo and all those different things and all the different levels of love in the Greek, but Hebrew doesn't have that. Did you know that? I'm a roots kind of person. Like, I like to go to the roots of things. I want to know, where's the root? The root word for love in Hebrew is hava. And it means to reveal the heart of the Father. So if you took agape out of the New Testament where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. If you took agape out of there and you replaced it with hava, if you replaced it with the Hebrew, it would say this. For God so wanted to reveal his heart that he sent his only begotten son. He so wanted to reveal his heart, is what the Hebrew would say. He so wanted to reveal himself to human beings that he gave his son. It's incredible. Watch. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption. To adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he graciously bestowed on us in the Beloved. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. I mean, the concept, for example, just of... He gave you everything you needed to represent Him and manifest the kingdom. He talked to you and gave you the love that you need in order to walk in love so that you can be holy and blameless before you, before Him. Not only that, this is something He always wanted for you from the time He created you And before you were even in your mother's womb, he had this destiny for you. And then on top of that, it was his good pleasure, after you walked away from that, to adopt you and bring you back in. According to his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the Beloved. And Paul says this in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
The concept of redemption means a ransom paid in full. It is the act of having a debt paid in full. So you've been bought and paid for, you've been brought in, you've been given an inheritance, and you've been taught how to walk holy and blameless in love. What more do we need? But he's not done. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And he says, in the beloved, in the beloved, in the beloved, God says you're his beloved, you're his beloved, he chose you, he adopted you, he had a plan for you, and when that plan didn't work out, he already had a backup plan in mind. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. He already knew you were going to blow it. You were going to need help. He sent the rescue mission. And then he says, not only am I going to restore to you what Adam and Eve had, I'm going to give you more than what Adam and Eve had. Because Adam and Eve had the spirit within them, but did they have an inheritance? Or did they just have the earth and they had to dominate? What did they have to do? In Christ, all of God's promises are already yes and amen. God gave Adam and Eve a commandment. He gave the church a promise. Think about it. Adam and Eve had a commandment. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. The church has a promise. We've been told to do things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there isn't anything we have to do. We, we, we have a destiny. We have good works. We have things that we've been called to. But what I'm saying is, is that we have promises to back us up that if we'll just believe them in faith, they'll manifest on the earth as we walk with Him. I want, I want to see what this really means. I want to see what this means in my life. I want to see what it looks like to walk in the fullness of the blessing. To be a blessing. To give blessing. To bring more into adoption. To bring more into the beloved. Because it's his good pleasure for that to happen. According to his will. Remember, Jesus didn't give a bunch of excuses as to why the guy wasn't sick or why the guy wasn't healed, why the kid wasn't healed. He didn't say God's teaching him a lesson. He didn't say, you know, well, the father right now, you know, he's in sin and this is his punishment because he did this way back in the day. You know, we need to get to the root of this. If we figure this out, maybe we can get some inner healing. If we get some inner healing in the father, then maybe we can lay hands on the kid. And after about five years of Christian counseling, then maybe we can introduce him to the schools. He might actually be okay around people. And then after that, maybe we'll slap him upside the head with some oil a few more times. And then hopefully by then, maybe he'll acclimate, you know, and then he'll find a good job and settle down. And then we can, you know, we can really, we can really move on. He didn't, that, that was not the case. Jesus didn't make excuses. He simply said to them, it is because of your faith. Which tells me, which tells me 
my lack of faith in any area, my lack of faith in any area, Jesus isn't looking, Jesus isn't looking at everybody else around me who's causing the problem. Jesus isn't looking at the circumstances around me and saying, well, son, I really understand because so-and-so treated you this way today. So I understand why the fruit of the Spirit didn't manifest in your life. My fruit of the Spirit wouldn't have manifested in my life either. He's not doing that. He's looking at it going, okay, what's he going to do? What's he? Oh, look what he did. Guys, do you see what he did? Check him out. Or he's sitting up there and he's like, dude, come on. And I can tell you there's times where I, I heard that. Where I come home, I sit on the couch. Yeah. I go, God, you gave me that opportunity and I was afraid and I didn't move. I got in fear. I was afraid of the consequences of doing something in that moment. God, I knew I just it was a lack of faith. I didn't put you above the situation and the circumstances. And I repent. Repentance is beautiful. It's one of my favorite things. It's awesome. Because repentance is like, you ever play shoots and ladders? You know, like, you know, you get the, you get the shoot, and like you get to come all the way down or the ladder and you get to go all the way up. You know what I'm saying? The game, shoots and ladders. It's like, which is it? Which one's the good one? The, shoots is the bad one. It's the slide. It's the slide. Down. The ladder's the good one, yeah. right? So it's like the ladder. You know, repentance is like, you know, when you sin, it's like the chute, and like repentance is the ladder. Mm-hmm. Like you just went all the way down. You're like, oh, man, I just went back like 50 spaces. And you're like, I repent. You're like, up the ladder. <laughs> we're, we're winning. All of a sudden you're winning again. That's repentance. Repentance puts you in a position of winning. But, you know, there is still consequences. There can be. We are forgiven. We're forgiven. But... <clears throat> like David, he forgave and he was man's God's own man. But God said, "The sword is never going to leave mm-hmm. your family." Sure. And there are consequences. God is trying to protect us mm-hmm. from those consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's certain things I've thought about as far as. Um, you know, politicians and different things like that or certain positions of office and stuff, you know, they'll dig up anything from your past. They don't care if you're born again. Born again means nothing to them. You know, if you're running for a political office or something, you know, if you did something 20 years ago and you're like, yeah, but I got saved 10 years ago. I'm a totally different person. They're like, yeah, we don't care. They don't, they don't like put on the news ticker tape, but it's okay because he got born again. You know, they're just looking at the highlights. And and that's what the enemy does. He wants you to highlight your past. Highlight what you did wrong. Think about where you failed God. Now, I think we should be real with where we're at in our walk with the Lord. We need to be real with God. If we failed, we failed. But we need to also recognize the reality and the truth of forgiveness in repentance and what God sees from that point so that we can actually agree with God that he forgave us. Well, he's, he's trying to protect us against mm-hmm. those consequences, right? Of what what we do. And some of us are some of us within the body of Christ don't even have enough faith in our own repentance. There's a saying in Spanish. A lot of people say, uh, 
I forgive, but I don't forget. Right. And they think that God is the same. Like, I know people that go and pray in the room, and then a couple of letters, like, but God, please forgive me. And the next day, like, God, I did this. Please forgive me. Like, God already yeah. washed over your sin, and he's no longer thinking about it anymore. And sometimes people need to learn to forgive themselves. I agree. I mean, we, we need to, we really need to come to a place where we understand and we truly have faith in our repentance. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like having faith in God's ability. That's exactly, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's 100% the same thing. It's absolutely 100% the same. So, God is crazy about all of us in this room. He is super crazy about all of us in this room. Each one of us has a special place in his heart. When Jesus was in the garden praying, he was thinking about you. I really want to come to a place in my own personal life where when I'm praying, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about what God thinks about you. I see you the way that God sees you. I have the plans for your life that God has for your life. And I want to see you succeed just as much as God wants to see you succeed. And I'm willing to put myself wherever I need to place myself to help you be successful as God wants you to be successful. That can be in repentance. That can be in growing in faith. That can be in understanding grace. That can be in understanding your inheritance. That can be in simply helping you and having a wonderful conversation. Or it could be simply coming over and helping you wash your car. Because I believe that all of us together are going to be radically transformed by the time God's done speaking this to us in a way where it gets exported and increases. And God has already showed me some things and I'm praying into them, but He keeps showing me you guys. And I want you to understand because He wants you to understand the value that you hold in the kingdom of God. The potential that you have everywhere you're at, every moment of the day, to bring the kingdom of God to any single minute, moment, and person within arm's reach and ear's distance. We have to be a people of the kingdom because we are, according to Him. But we have to believe it. but we have to be a family to do that. And just one final thing. The word on the street is the revival that everyone is talking about, the, the, the uprising of the church, all the things that are swirling in the air, in our environment here in Ohio that that we see 
Like it keeps trying to poke its head up just here and there and here and there. Everyone in leadership agrees that this revival is going to be a revival of families. And it's going to take family to sustain the revival. It's going to take people that are willing to put themselves in uncomfortable situations around people that make them uncomfortable because they know the only reason why they're uncomfortable is because they don't know how to love them well and they're honest with where they're at and they want to grow. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're only uncomfortable around people most of the time. Some people are just uncomfortable. But most of the time, the only reason why you're uncomfortable around somebody is because you don't know how to love them well. And if we're honest with the areas where we don't know how to love well, then we will grow in areas that we need to grow in so that we can love, so that we can be holy and blameless in love, so that we can walk in love, so that we can manifest love, so that we can be love, so that love can conquer a multitude of sins. Love can cover it, it can conquer it, and love can come to earth and wreck everything. But if the enemy finds an area where we're uncomfortable to love and we don't allow God to shape that area, he's always going to have a door where he can say, well, if I just get him in that situation, I can take him out like kryptonite. If I can just find their Delilah, all I need is their Delilah. If I can find their Delilah, then I can figure out what the secret is of their strength and I can take them out. Don't give up the secret of your strength. Keep letting your hair grow. So let's pray. So Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for increasing our faith, Father. God, we thank you for calling us as a part of the Beloved. Father, we thank you for giving us an inheritance and showing us what that inheritance looks like on earth. God, we thank you for making us holy and blameless in love, Father. We give you total access to our hearts and our minds and our wills and our emotions. God, we give you total access to find the areas, Holy Spirit, where where we have not refined love so that we can be refined and we can be purified seven times in the fire, where we can be pure gold before your sight, where we can be holy and blameless in your sight, above reproach, a spotless bride, just walking this out with our lamps full of oil and our lights shining bright with garments of praise and worship and thanksgiving so that everywhere they go, everywhere we are at, every person says, that must be a bride because look at how beautiful she is. Nobody needs in a wedding, nobody needs, Father, to try and figure out who the bride is. It's evident who the bride is because of what she looks like and how she manifests and represents herself when she shows up in those doors. God, let it be known everywhere we go that we are the bride of Christ. Let people recognize the bride has entered into the room and there's an opportunity for a wedding to take place and for somebody to encounter something brand new and consummate with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, we thank you for releasing this grace over us. We thank you for family. We thank you for community. We thank you for power. And we thank you for love. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for tuning into the broadcast today. Hey, I wanted to just connect with you, share with you some other ways that you can be encouraged in your faith in Christ Jesus through Fruit of the Vine Ministries. You can visit our website at fruitofthevineministries.wix.com forward slash fruit of the vine. We have our statement of faith on there. There's a lot of encouraging books, literature, things that you can get your hands on. There's, there's some good meat in there for you to be continually encouraged in. You can also contact us by sending us an email through fruit of the vine ministries at gmail.com right here in the form on the website. Also, you can connect with us on Facebook at fruit of the vine ministries, Ohio. So if you go on Facebook, it's fruit of the vine ministries, Ohio, you'll find the fruit of the vine ministries logo. And from there, just like the page and you'll get encouraging scriptures. You'll get encouraging memes, things that you can share with your friends to say, Hey, listen, I follow Yeshua Jesus. I want to give you another opportunity that some people take to take advantage of our P.O. box. You can write us a letter. You can let us know how you've been encouraged and strengthened in your face. And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, you can also send a check and you can help us and support financially what Father is doing here. It's P.O. Box 222, Louisville, Ohio, 44641. And you can make that out to John Davison. There's also a link to, to give on our uh, website as well. Another way that you can listen and tune in is through our radio broadcasts. Every Sunday morning on local Christian radio at 10.30 a.m. on 90.1 WJEE and 90.9 WJDD Faith Ministry Radio. And you can connect with us each week there, listen to new encouraging messages. And then also our podcasts are available as well through podbean.com. Go to Fruit of the Vine Ministries on podbead.com. Just click the subscribe and follow, and you can follow some of the latest podcasts. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short, sometimes they're just very short, encouraging messages. And I just wanted to give you an outlet so that you can, hey, listen, if God moves on you and you want more, if you want more of Jesus, we want to give you every ounce of grace that God has given to us. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And we want to encourage the church to walk in power, strength, holiness, righteousness, completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, walking as normal Christians in the supernatural and seeing friends, neighbors, loved ones, co-workers coming to faith, salvation knowledge in Yeshua HaMashiach. So thank you very much for spending your time with us today. And God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Shalom.